for the most part, I, I have the uh, privilege to be able to preach God's Word here on a week-to-week basis for the most part, and part of a great elder team, and um, uh, just good to have you with us. If you are new, uh, and if you haven't filled out a Connect card yet, we have them in the bulletin. We have them online if you are online on our website, sbctrucky.com. And uh, if you just go to uh, the front page or in that program, fill that out, get you a, a newsletter from us and, and uh, uh, all the information that, that comes through our church. And then if you are new, also, if you, we, we haven't been doing this in a while. There's a couple rhythms we got out of uh, with coronavirus and being shut down, and we're slowly picking up some of those rhythms that we've, uh, been, that we've been doing in the past. And one of them is if you're new, we have a gift for you at the um, info booth. We have a free book. So if you haven't received that yet as a, uh, as a visitor or uh, as someone who's new, just stop in there, give them your Connect card, and they'll give you a, a book that we give away for free here at the church. Um, and then uh, a couple things I want to mention. We've got a, a very busy next uh, few uh, months all the way up through Easter. So we're already, you know, getting ready to uh, have a Good Friday service and Easter and all of that, so be praying for that. Um, but in the meantime, we've got several things that we're trying to do up before Easter. One of them is uh, next week, Matt Manzari is going to be with us. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you uh, have ever heard of Matt Manzari. I actually was introduced to him a few weeks ago through Andy Finch, uh, who um, has done some speaking engagements with Matt. Matt has an incredible story. I've had an opportunity to get to know him over the last couple of weeks. He is a super uh, rad guy. He uh, was a professional wake skater. And um, I'm, we're going to show a quick video, and then I'll, uh, I'll explain a little bit more. But uh, go ahead and show that clip for everyone to see, and we'll, we'll talk about what we're going to do. It was so messed up, and I, I was seeing him go away before my eyes, and they held me back, they held me back, and they were like, no, it's too bad, don't let her see. And I, I said, if I need to say goodbye, I need to say goodbye right now. First time I jumped on a wake skate and realized it really is like skateboarding. You know, I'm not strapped in, I'm not tied down like wakeboarding as much as I love wakeboarding. It was just, that was it for me. When I got out of the hospital, it was a discovery process of who is this new person. I really was a new person, and the old me is gone. It's gone and dead, but who this new person is, I like. It's not a bad thing. It's just getting to know him. Matt Manzari, and this story is not about me. So he's going to be with us next week. I'll give you a quick little uh, insight uh, into his story. He um, was <clears throat> wake skating, and there was an accident. 
and he literally crushed in one whole side of his face and went through a, a major rehabilitation process for that. They put in a, a piece of metal in his jaw, uh, some metal in his, his head, uh, and the organization, which is a Christian organization that makes these, um, these documentaries, one, Andy has one, if you're not familiar, about uh, his story with his dad and all of that. And um, in one year up to the anniversary, they were getting ready to, to launch this film, and as I understand it, he was at a church, and he was helping out uh, the day before he was going to speak and share his story, and he was trimming some trees, and somehow uh, one of the power lines arced over and electrocuted him. And what you see is the result of that electrocution. Uh, what I was told was that when they pulled the bucket down, uh, what, what they saw was quite literally a skeleton. Uh, all of the muscle, all of the, uh, the front part of him here literally was, was burned. Uh, to the point where even part of his sternum uh, was, was melted and didn't exist. They had to put new bone there. Uh, and the doctor literally told his wife, as you saw her in the beginning, say goodbye, he's, he's going to die. And there should be no reason why he is alive. One of the reasons the doctors believe he is alive is because when he was electrocuted, the, the lightning, instead of melting his organs, went through the metal in his face and in his head. Uh, and since uh, he's gone through that process... Um, Man, the Lord's done an amazing work in his life. He's a really cool guy, and he gets to, uh, we get to be privileged to hear him preach next Sunday at both services. Um, and then, in addition to that, as you can see on the poster here, uh, we're going to show his film on the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. here. Uh, and so we're, we're having all our junior high kids and high school kids come to that, and we would love for you to come as well. The way that I'm kind of promoting this is, is saying, hey, if you know somebody that you've been praying for uh, that feels comfortable to come, uh, and, and hear uh, the message of Christ and the hope that he gives. If you know someone who's been hurting or if you've been hurting and you've been suffering, this is like a must attend. So I just want to strongly encourage you, invite anyone that you can to come to this thing because I think it's going to be an incredible uh, Sunday and an incredible Wednesday. And then in addition to that, we've got the biblical principles government class that we're doing. This is catered, uh, so free food for that. And then we want to let you know to save the date for... Um, for March, we've got Todd, uh, not Todd, uh, Robert Dodson coming uh, from Marietta, uh, a Bible church out of Marietta. He's going to do a parenting seminar, and he's going to be here in the evening on Friday, and then uh, basically all day Saturday, we're going to provide child care. We're going to uh, cater that in the morning, and then also uh, lunch. So if you're a parent, this is for you. If you want to be a parent, this is for you. If you want to laugh at parents, then then don't come, please. Um, but this this is a, this will be a great event, okay? Um, and then this morning, uh, we get another, another treat, just like we did last week. I got another baby dedication, so Dyers. Well, come on up. Yeah, bring your family. Um, so <laughs> Russ and Courtney were telling me, I'm, I'm dedicating Hawthorne, and Hawthorne's, he, he's two years old, and Russ was telling me this morning, it's what happens when you have four kids, you wait a couple years before you do the dedication. And hopefully he'll let me hold him. Come here, buddy. No. No. Here, you hold him for now. <laughs> and we'll we'll uh Okay. So this this look at look at all these people. Um this is their family. 
And uh, one of the things... Yeah. <laughs> Yay, you have a family! Okay. You did it! <laughs> so what happens when you have four girls? Yeah, we're Catholic. So I mentioned this last week. When we do a baby dedication, we recognize that there, nothing special or magical necessarily happens here. Uh, really what they're doing is they're stating and making a covenant to you as a church that they want to be held accountable to raising uh, Hawthorne as well as their other kids uh, according to the gospel and according to the word of God. And they're also covenanting with you uh, and you are covenanting back. It takes a community. And what was really neat is last week when um, we did the, did the baby, baby dedication last week, Courtney was telling me how she kind of got emotional about it because when we talked about how we do this as a community and we covenant with one another, she was saying she really has felt from our church uh, that, that you've done a good job in that, that you've helped with their kids, you've helped uh, parent and, and guide and direct, and that they've really felt your support, which I think is a really beautiful thing uh, that they sense that and they feel that. And so this is, this is a moment for them uh, to, to make that covenant with you and a moment for us to pray over Hawthorne um, that, that he would come to know the Lord. And so Russ and Courtney, would you uh, covenant, make a promise with our church here to continue to raise Hawthorne according to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. And then church... Would you covenant back with them? Would you promise back with them to help guide Hawthorne and, and, and lead him according to the word of God and according to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. Awesome. And so let's pray. Let me... I can touch you, right? It's okay. He's like my cat. Get, get away. <laughs> let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Hawthorne and for the Dyer family, for the Brimer family, for the the glanders, Lord, and, and all of their uh, beautiful children. And thank you that, that they've got a great community here and that you, Lord, have been a part of it for so many years and, and we've been able to partake in that fruit. And I just pray for Hawthorne that he would come to, to know you and to love you and that you would help Courtney and Russ, uh, Lord, to guide him well and to parent well with, with grace. And would you help us as a church? Uh, to guide them and, and, and lead them, Lord, in, uh, in parenting as well. And we trust you for these things, Lord, as we give Hawthorne ultimately into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, buddy. Oh, now he's smiling. Thank you, guys. All right. Acts chapter... 1 verse 6, and if you don't have a Bible uh, this morning, raise your hand. One of the ushers uh, would love to hand you uh, a Bible, so just keep your hand up, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Um, so uh, we've, we just got out of the book of Timothy. We were in Exodus before that, spent quite a bit of time in, I'm sorry, it was Exodus? Yeah. Um, and for this month, as I mentioned, we've got some special things, Matt Manzari and, and topical sermons. I, I'll just be frank with you, like, um, I, don't, I don't like doing topical sermons. Uh, they're, they're not, um, there's nothing wrong with them. Some of my favorite theologians, Charles Spurgeon, for instance, was known as the topical preacher uh, uh, by and large, and, and there's several others. Um, but what happens for me when I study is, is when I'm studying, and if I do topical, which we do on occasion, I get to this place where I'm, I'm like, what do I preach? And, and 
how do I make sure it's not like this thing I want to preach on? It's, it'd be easy for me to, be, to, to preach on what I want to preach on and, and to avoid the things that I want to avoid. And why I love preaching through the Bible, uh, I, I enjoy it for two reasons. Number, number one, it's the Bible, and we're walking through a book, and we're getting a big picture of the book. But number two, Jesus tells me exactly what I'm preaching every week, right? If I preach chapter one, then the next week, guess what God says? You're in chapter two. And so uh, it's just easier to stay in Scripture for me. It, it's not, uh, it's, I don't know, just topical stuff. So this week, I, I you know, got in that process. What do I feel like God wants me to do? And it's just this whole thing of like, what's, you know, what's the Spirit telling me? What, do I, what should I do? Well, I landed in a place, and I landed in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, and, and this is the birth of the church in Acts chapter 1. And the book of Acts is, is uh, the book that tells us, it's, it's called Acts because it's supposed to be the, the reporting of or the writing of uh, the, the apostles and the disciples after Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, but really, it's, it should be better titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, because that's what we're introduced to, the Spirit of God, the empowering work of God. And so if you have the ability to this morning, I see a few injured folks. Aaron, good to see you back in, the, in church. Uh, if, if you have the ability to stand this morning, would you stand with me? And um, we're going to read from Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And we stand again because we love the Word of God so much. So when they had come together, that's the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Uh, Lord, would you, would you be near us this morning? Would you draw into our presence, Lord? Would you invade our space? And would you do a work in our hearts and our souls? In our faith. Correct us if we need correction. Encourage us if we need encouragement, Lord. But, but do your work this morning. And may we submit to that work. In Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. You may be seated. So, and really kind of what happened in, in studying this week is that it's just kind of a continuation of Timothy to a certain degree. Because what I'm going to talk about this morning is really the, the, the power and the purpose and the plan of the church, what God desires for the church. Now, if you would, if you, if you have your Bible in front of you, if you have a device of some kind, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and I just want to read, read this because this, this is the birthing of the church uh, that we see in this particular passage that then plays out uh, in the book of Acts. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by, by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, right? We, we've talked about that over the weeks, that, that faith is something that we run in, that, that, that our faith is something that we practice. And it seems to be in Hebrews chapter 12 that to some degree, these, this cloud of witnesses to some degree is witnessing what the church is going through today. But it also uh, lets us know about these witnesses that, that we're connected with all of the saints in all of the Bible, that, that we're living out something that they've lived out as well. And then it tells us to lay aside because of this, get rid of the sin in your life, get rid of the junk in your life that seems to cling so closely. 
Would you agree with me that at times it seems that the, the things that we, we, we don't want to do, that, that, it, that sin has a way of kind of like saran wrap sticking to you at times, that you're having to pull off those bad attitudes, the, the strife and the envy and the anger and the struggle. It says, lay those things aside because of the witnesses, but then it tells us how to accomplish that in verse 2 of Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So Jesus is the founder of our faith, and he's the perfecter of our faith, right? He, he started this thing called Christianity, and he's perfecting this thing called Christianity. And then it says this. This is the kicker. He's the founder of it, and it says this about his journey through suffering and the cross and crucifixion, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did you catch it? The church was birthed in pain, but it was birthed in joy. That as Jesus was suffering on the cross, he was thinking of you and this church, right? He, for the joy set before him, he went through the hardship and the struggle. The only way that a, a woman gives birth to a child is because they know after the pain and suffering, there'll be a beautiful life that comes out of that, yeah? Right? No woman says, just sign me up for that. I don't think. I've never heard one woman say, my birth was, you know, giving birth was just such an enjoyable thing, right? No one really says that, I don't think. And if you do, you've got issues. There, the only reason a woman does it again, as my wife has for, you know, four times, is because of the, the aftermath of the beautiful life that is set before you, that the wailing of a woman turns into the crying of a child, Right? And likewise, Jesus went through the pain and suffering as a woman through childbirth to give birth to the church. And it says that he has joy. He, he endured with joy, and he has joy over the church. Church should be, for us, something that we feel joy-filled to be a part of. This should be an enjoyable thing, right? It should be something that you look forward to, to the singing and the preaching of God's word. And so Jesus has birthed this church, and then the church in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, as it's starting to be, come into process, guess what? The, the church starts with a question, which I kind of like, because typically when I preach, I'll, I'll ask a question of our lives, of our circumstance, of our situation. And as the church is about to be born, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and his disciples have a question. Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You know what they're asking, don't you? Jesus, could you please explain revelations to me? Uh, Lord, is, is this the end times? Is the world ending? Has anyone asked that question recently? Is this the end? The answer, first of all, is yes. We're in the end times. We've been in the end times for two millennia. And the Antichrist is here and has been here and is coming. That's, that's what the Bible says. You're living in the end times. But what I love about Jesus is, is first of all, uh, the church starts with a question, just like every Christian asks, is the end nigh? What is the signs? What does Nostradamus say, right? And instead, Jesus says, <laughs> it's not for you to know. And he changes the topic, right? He, he just shoves it to the side. He said to them, it's not for you to know the seasons. It's going to happen. It's been fixed by God's authority. But he says, no, you're going to receive 
Instead, you need to focus on the power you're going to receive. When you go to Jerusalem, you'll receive power and you'll be witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. He says, go and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's my first point in regards to the church from, from our study in Acts this morning. The church was birthed in joy, and the church, number one, has power. An enormous amount of power. You remember what happens is, is Jesus says to them, okay, listen, <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you about the end times. We're not going to do a study on Revelation. And I've been asked that question before. How come you're not doing a study on Revelation? Why don't you do a study on Revelation? We'll get there eventually, okay? There's 66 books in the Bible. We'll get there eventually. But now's not the time, right? I've even had people tell me, hey, in this season, you need to be preaching through Revelation. <sighs> I need to preach Jesus, okay? He's in every part of the Bible. We need all of the Bible, don't we? Do you know if you need more Revelation, you can read it. <laughs> I know that's a novel idea. You might even find a podcast about it somewhere. <laughs> you might even find a preacher who's already preached on it, who could do a much better job than me. No. Instead, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Jerusalem, I want you to go to a room, and I want you to wait, and I want you to be patient, I want you to seek me, and as you seek me, power is going to come, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes, falls upon the church, and the church receives power, and the first thing that happens is Peter, who is the most broken of the bunch, gets out of the room, walks out of the building, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he preaches his first sermon. This is a man who rejected Christ three times, now receives the empowerment of God, and as the power of God falls upon him, turn to Acts chapter 2, and look at what he says. Peter said to them, repent, and be baptized, every one of you. Have you been baptized? Here, here's the plug. You, if you're a Christian, if you've come to faith in Jesus, you need to be baptized with water, okay? And we can do that at any moment. Right back here, there's a water faucet, and we just fill up a tub, and we dunk you, okay? We don't hold you under for the whole time. We just dunk you, all for the name of Jesus. He says, repent, be baptized, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the power. Verse, jump to verse 40. And, and then, remember, this is Peter's first sermon. And then with many other words, I just have to say it for my benefit. I'm not the only one who talks a lot as a pastor. It's been happening for 2,000 years. You hear that? Every preacher, he, with many other words, he bore witness... And he continued to exhort them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day 3,000 souls. What a great day, church. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Verse 45, then they were selling all their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds all who had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. Then a little bit later, in Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches a second sermon. 
And it's much like the first one, (laughs) which is another comfort to me as a pastor. Because sometimes I feel like I'm just preaching the same message every week. Right? Peter preaches again, and, and the topic seems to be the same. And he's at this portico, Solomon's portico. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed that they were teaching the people. If you've ever felt annoyed in church, you're a Pharisee. Okay? And the people, and they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, and they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the men who came to salvation came to be about 5,000. People are getting saved. The power of God comes onto the room, comes down onto Peter, and Peter is compelled to preach. Just so you know, when the power of God comes, preaching follows. Okay? God uses the, 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 the weak and feeble minister to proclaim the goodness and the mercy of God. And in the power of preaching, there's several things that happen. Let me list them for you. The first one is, in both messages, number one, when the power of God comes, when the preaching happens, when church occurs, number one, God meets the people where the people are. He meets them where you're at. He meets you where you're at, right? There's none of this, hey, listen, get cleaned up, get fixed, stop cussing, stop drinking, stop being so angry, stop being addicted, right? Stop being angry, just fix it all. Like, you've got to fix these things, then come to church. No, 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 no. Jesus meets you exactly where you're at, amen? He comes to you and he says, come to me as you are, I'll do everything else. <laughs> you know, the, the, the birthing process of salvation is a 100% work of Jesus Christ. Okay, you can't be born again on your own. The disciples knew that. How does one get born again? They literally asked them, do you go back into your mom's womb? They didn't know. They were thinking so, 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 like, like, like literally, how does that happen? And then Jesus, again, he doesn't even... He doesn't even answer how ludicrous that question is. He just says, with God, all things are possible. That which is impossible for man is impossible for man, but that which is possible by God is possible by God. He, he, he made us saved. He got us saved. Salvation is an act of God. Sanctification is an act of God. Sanctification is the process of growth in Christianity. Okay? Remember when Jesus says, we talked about this not that long ago, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit? You know what you never see a tree doing? Working really hard to produce fruit. You've never seen a tree go, oh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. There it is! That doesn't happen. You know how that fruit comes? Abiding. That's the work of the Christian. It's being with Jesus. It's spending time with Jesus and recognizing that with Jesus is power. So number one, he meets them where they're at. And then as you abide in Christ, he deals with stuff as he sees fit. I mean, how many of you in your marriage have seen your spouse and you've thought to your spouse, I need my wife, I need my husband to grow in this area only for God to work on a totally different area? And then they approve in that area. They improve in that area. And you're like, hmm, 
Well, that didn't bother me so much, Lord. Well, it bothered the Lord. So he dealt with it. He meets us where we're at. Number two, Peter shares with them the truth of humanity. Number one, Jesus meets us where we're at. Every good message, Jesus meets us where we're at. Number two, the truth of humanity is shared. And that truth, that truth, you're crooked. That's what he says. You're a crooked, rebellious people. So let, let, you know why that's such good news? It's good news because it, let's just say you're dealing with your addiction. You're struggling with your anger. You are working hard at trying to be a better Christian. You, you're just trying and trying and trying and trying, and you just keep failing. Anyone ever felt that way about anything in life? Me and Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate you. Right? You know why it's, this is why it's a good message. The last thing you need, the last thing that Jesus would ever do to you is show up on the scene and say, you know what? You just need to work harder. You're awesome. You can do it. The worst thing that, that, that God could do for you in a moment of fail, failure, in the moment of, of trying to get better is for God to show up and say, you know what? People are really good. They're inherently really good. I don't know what's wrong with you, but people are good. No. The best thing Jesus can say is, you're crooked. Now, now why is that good news? Because he's saying, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what you can't do. I, I'm, I'm going to help you grow. I'm going to fix you. I, I'm your savior. I, I'm your grace. He's saying, you need grace. That's why we always say the first step in salvation is to admit that you have need. You cannot fix yourself. We make terrible saviors. Well, I'm not, I, I, make, I make a horrible God. I need something outside of me. So he shares the truth of humanity. Then he gives and offers forgiveness through Jesus. Right? The power of the church, the power of the message, the power of preaching. God comes where we're at and we're thankful for it. He's in the room. He's with us. He shares with us the, the, the reality that, that we are broken. And then he offers us forgiveness through Jesus Christ. He, he offers us the pardon of guilt. I like how one pastor says it. Here's the big difference between Jesus and cancel culture. While our culture, culture, including the church at times, cancels people who've done terrible things, Jesus cancels the terrible things that people are canceled for. See, see the, the reality of what Jesus comes and says is, I will wash you white as snow. The, the church, the power of the church is to walk with the broken and the crooked and the marred and the depressed and the angry. See, it's the power of the church that, that says, you know what, we're going to continue to show up and do this thing because people need this thing, this saving grace. Right? When somebody comes in and they're, they, they, they've got social awkwardness, we engage. When somebody is struggling in their marriage, we don't push them to the side, to the side and say that, that somehow that marriage is private. No, we dive in and help in that marriage. When somebody shows up and says, I've been struggling with pornography, we don't just say, Shh, don't tell anybody, don't talk about it. We dive in with those individuals. We walk with them. When somebody comes into the church and they say, I want to foster a child, I want to foster a baby, and, 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 and they need help and assistance with that, we dive in. Joe and Amy Kraft aren't here this morning, but they, they went through that fostering process. 
There was one particular story I remember Joe Kraft sharing with me about how, I think someone else actually shared it, how they, had a, they were fostering two young boys who had had a, a terrible, terrible upbringing up to the five years that they, they were at. Five years old, broken, filled with anxiety. They just, the, the kids just struggling. And Joe leaned over to hug one of them that was having a kind of a fit five-year-old little boy, and he just hugged him and embraced him, and he was bent over, and he hugging him, and he looked up and he, with the people who were there, and he looked up and said, I just got peed on. And he continued to just embrace him. Right, The power of the church is to not run away from the stench and not to run away from those hard moments. The, the gospel, the power of the gospel gives us the ability to enter into the ugliness of the world and shine his beautiful bright light. That's the power of the church. We don't flee the minority. We don't run away from the hurting. We, we dive in because he offers forgiveness and he offers the reality of wiping our sin clean. As the quote states, he makes us white as snow. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we would become the righteousness of God. And then, not only does God meet us where we're at, and his power, not only does God share with us the truth of, of who we are, not only does he offer us forgiveness, but he also says, and almost every message will do this, demands a response. He demands a response. We have to respond to the power of God. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus' first sermon, the Sermon of the Mount. In Jesus' first sermon, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know what he's saying? He's saying, blessed are those who mourn, those who know they have need, those who know they need Jesus, those who know that they're broken. Blessed are those people because they've admitted need, and since they've admitted their need, I will comfort them. The first step, as I mentioned, to salvation is to admit you need help. You need it. Right, the whole idea of the Holy Spirit, right, the, the word Holy Spirit, the, the original word is paraclete. And, and it literally means helper or counselor. Helper or counselor. That, that's the power of God. So the first thing that Jesus does when you get saved is he gives you the paraclete. He gives you the counselor. Which another way to say that is the first thing that happens when you come to salvation is Jesus puts you into counseling. <laughs> Have you ever felt like you needed counseling? I see a counselor every now and then because I have need. So the first thing Jesus does is he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives you a counselor because some of you, all of you, need somebody from the outside, from the outside to help you, guide you, and lead you in life. Right? If you feel tired and drained and worn out, it may be possible that you're living on your own power and not the power of Christ. That power gets us through the day. And it's at times gives us extraordinary moments. The best way I can say it is like this. There's a whole kind of theological debate, actually, on what's happening in the book of Acts. Some would say that, that, that there's this second pouring of the Holy Spirit and that we need a, a second pouring out of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't think I, I believe that. Here's, here's where I stand. I believe that when you come to saving faith, when you acknowledge need that you need a Messiah, 
when you acknowledge that Jesus took the punishment that you deserve and he died on the cross and then he defeated death through the resurrection of the dead, when you believe that, when you admit that, when you confess you're a sinner and you admit that he's the righteous one and you need his help and you want to walk with him, when, when that first thing he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives you all of himself. I believe that when someone becomes a Christian, they get all of Jesus, not part of Jesus. Are you with me? Okay, I don't think you, you get a little bit here and then, and then you, you, you do some things and, and you put yourself in the right position and then you get a little bit more, a little bit down the road. No. The best way I can picture it is like this. I've, I've got four kids and one of the things I still really enjoy doing with the kids who'll do it with me, I won't do it with Peyton because it's, it's too weird, but holding hands with my kids walking across the street. Right? Holding a 10-year-old's hands feels weird now. I don't know, it's just that, that age. But my five-year-old, it's precious. I love it. And my little girl, I'll probably hold her hands forever. And I'm never going to let go. She's never getting married. She's mine forever. Okay? And every... <laughs> Don't doubt me. So, as I'm holding hands with my kids, I'm with them. I'm walking with them. The Holy Spirit's much like that. He's with you all the time. Sometimes you're more aware of it than others. And then every now and then, what I do with my kids, every now and then, I like to pick them up and, and throw them up in the air, catch them, put them down, and have that moment of just sheer joy, right? And sometimes that's what happens with the Spirit of God. He's walking with you. He's with you because he's not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person, part of the Trinity. And every now and then, the Spirit of God lifts you up and gives you courage and boldness that you've never had before. I mean, have you ever had those moments where you're sharing your faith and a verse comes to mind you didn't even know that you knew? Happens to me every Sunday. Right? I'm serious. I have messages that, that I know the Spirit of God just does things that, that I'm not capable of doing. He has shown up in, in counseling appointments. He has shown up in hospital visits. He's shown up in memorial services. He shows up every single Sunday. And I know that to be true because, because sometimes people walk out the door and they'll be like, man, I really love that point you made. I was so glad that you shared that thing. And I'm like, I didn't say that. Like if you walk out Sunday and you say something to me like, I like how you said this. And I give you one of these looks like, it's because I didn't say it. But you heard it. Because the Spirit of God is at work in your soul now. He knows what you need. He knows what needs to be said. I don't. Right? I, I have to touch upon the reality of why this is so important. Many of you are well aware of what just recently happened with Ravi Zacharias. A man who, who for years has been a, a consistent messenger of the gospel, an apologist, who it now appears from all evidence given that he's been cheating on his wife and abusing women almost his entire ministry. That's sad. And it's, it's really shocked people. I've had people even ask me in the last couple weeks of it, how do you know what pastors you can trust? None. None. It's not about the pastor. It's not about Ravi. The things that Ravi said, they're no less true today than they were yesterday. And sometimes God allows men and their sin to come out in the open just to remind the church, you know, that it's not about a guy, but it's about Jesus. It's about putting your relationship with God. It's about not putting any man, no matter who he is, 
in, in some kind of position of, of, of celebrity-esque, right? As it's been said of Kanye West and all these other things, that, that the church is not to embrace celebrity culture. The, the church is to embrace the person of Jesus Christ. The church is to put the message in the Bible. Again, not to belabor my point of not liking topical sermons. They're, they're just fine and dandy, but I don't want to come up before you with some kind of sparkling message. I've got to give you the word. I've got to give you Jesus because I'm going to die one day and I've already failed you a hundred times over. I'm a sinner myself. I'm not the perfect counselor. I'm not always in a good mood. I don't know if you know that, but it, I'm not always in a good mood. Okay? I'm not always fun to be around. I can be quite annoying. Ask my wife. I have a tendency to yell if you haven't noticed. Right? I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy, and I'm a guy who needs the power of Christ, who understands his need for Jesus. I have mourned over my own sin. I still mourn over my sins and the things that I commit against Christ. I'm in need of Jesus. Please never lift me up higher than I ever should be. It's, it's got to be about him. Some respond, some don't. Hopefully we mourn, and we respond in the way that is correct. Acts chapter 4, look, look at that. Peter's got the power of the Spirit. The church has been birthed. It's being birthed. Thousands of souls are coming to salvation. And then when the Pharisees see, look at what it says in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. Let's just stop there for a moment. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. They see the great power. They see that people are being impacted, and their response is, we can tell they've never been to school. If you've ever felt like your pastor was dumb, he's in good company. So he's saying, this is great. He says, they can tell that these men, they're not well-educated, they're not well-refined, their words aren't perfect, but they were astonished because Why? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. The power of God in the church doesn't come from a great education. It comes from being with Jesus. And I've heard Christians say to me over the years, I can't share my faith because I don't know enough. I can't share my faith because because I haven't been educated enough. I don't know my Bible well enough. That's bullpucky, y'all. That's garbage. You share what you know. You become a storyteller of Christ. You share what you know. Just as the woman at the well, what does she say? She runs out and she says, you got to meet the guy who told me all my sins. That's her message. You remember Jesus meets her at the well? You've been with several men. The one you're with is not your husband. She gets so excited about it that she goes into the community and says, you got to meet the guy who told me all my sins. Sometimes that's all you got to say. I met a guy, and he told me everything that was wrong with me. you got to meet him. (laughs) Who is he? Jesus. What's so great about that? He still loves me. Right? It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And then, if you remember, in John chapter 12, verse 43, it tells us that some men didn't respond because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. See, when Jesus demands a response, he's saying to the church, 
Part of your power is connected not by being private about your faith, but being public about your faith. We have to proclaim our faith. We have to live our faith. People may not like that you're a Christian, but they need to know you're a Christian. So, some things that have really been really cool. This last week, I was in a a business, and the owner of the business came up to me and said, not a Christian, doesn't know Jesus, doesn't go to church, and she says to me, thank you so much for what you're doing and for getting the word out about my business. You know what she said? You know what she's saying? Thank you for helping me feed my family. How beautiful is that? We've got a gal who's teaching dance classes in our church every week to young kids. Every week. Because the rec center's closed. When we unlocked the door for her and opened it up so she could teach little kids ballet, she was in tears. Because she's filled with joy that she can continue to live her life. Not a Christian doesn't come to church. She knows who we are. Caleb was telling me how he's been in places in the community and they know that they're from Sierra Bible Church and people have just said, oh, you're from there. They may not be Christians. They, 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 they may not exactly like what we do or what we stand for, but they know what we're doing is a good thing. I didn't know that the, the result of us continuing to live our faith would actually make our name and who Jesus is more palatable to the community. I thought it would be the opposite. But isn't that what fear does? Fear makes you believe things. Worry makes you believe things that aren't true. Instead, we've got non-Christians who have businesses who are saying, thank you for being an example. Thank you for living out your faith. And then that, that response ultimately The response gives the Holy Spirit, they they understand their sin, and then they're empowered in their faith. And that's what we need more of, is more more ability to understand it's the Spirit of God that empowers us. Arthur T. Pearson, in 1882, founded a movement of volunteers for youth and missions. the, the, The young people in college, getting that whole movement of young people in college getting on the mission field. And this is what he said about the power in the church, he said, to do this work, to reach the world in 20 years, we must get more gospel and more vitality. The church has money, it has brains, organizations, rivers of prayer, and oceans of sermons, but she lacks power. Because we, we forget that the person of God is in us. And then what happens is the church, once we get that purpose of God, when we receive the power of God, we, we begin to get the purpose of the church. And it tells us in Acts chapter 2 what the purpose of the church is. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, they didn't download their sermons from the internet. They didn't, they didn't make up their own messages. They, they taught traditional, historical Christianity. The apostles' teaching. Number two, they fellowshiped and they broke bread. This has two meanings. One in particular, communion, which we partake in every month but also sitting down and eating together. 
Right? I, I know it's the thing to, to socially distance and, and not eat with one another because you might get coronavirus on your food, but the traditional Christianity of the church in every circumstance is to sit down at the table with other family members and share the goodness of Jesus Christ with one another because it strengthens you, it empowers you. My wife and I have a tradition to invite people into our home all the time to just break bread and to eat and to fellowship and to hang out and to laugh and, and, and sometimes to cry with one another. I've had the broken at our house. I've weeped with those who are truly mourning over brokenness. I go out on a regular basis with other pastors in the community and just eat. It was just an incline with Cornerstone with uh, Tony Tony Slavin just a week ago. Just hanging out and sharing the struggle of of church and and to be able to look another pastor in the eye who who thinks like I do and loves the Lord like I do and and to just be able to look at him in the face and see ministry's hard. People are hard. Right? I got into ministry because I loved people and I want to get out of ministry because I love people. I mean, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just saying it. People are difficult. We are, aren't we? We make a mess of our lives. None of us are perfect. And to just sit down with another vulnerable guy who's doing what I'm doing and to know that we're doing it together, you need that. Men, you need to hang out with other men that that are, work is hard, especially in a secular environment, isn't it? If you're in the construction industry, you know there's some gnarly dudes out there. You might be one of them. You need other men who are going to say, you can do it, man. You've got the power of God and you've got the purpose of God in your life. Women, you need to sit down and and talk about how hard it is to be married to your husband. And guys, that's not gossip. It's therapy. (laughs) Moms, you know you need other moms who tell you, yeah, it's hard. I want to kill my kids too. Right? They're not sugarcoating it. They're saying it's difficult. Parenting is hard. You, you who have teenagers, you, you need other parents who can tell you, yeah, my teenager's driving me bananas too. 18 can't come soon enough. Right? It, it, let's not sugarcoat it. The church is not to be pretending that it's all together because it's not. We're, we're in a sane asylum And we've got the counselor, we've got the Spirit of God, we've got the Word of God that is molding us and shaping us and healing us and and mending our wounds. The church must be dedicated to the purposes of God. Devote themselves to teaching. Devote yourself to fellowship and prayers. Devote yourself to radical generosity. They started giving things away. That's the power of the church. And they praised God. And they, they, they had great favor, it says, if you remember from the text, they had great favor in the community. God has been good and favorable to Sierra Bible Church because we've been dedicated to trusting him in every aspect that we can. And likewise, individually, we must be praying for boldness and praying to be anti-cultural and telling the story of Jesus Christ. The church is not to look like the rest of the world. You know that, right? The church is not to look like culture, embrace cultural ideals, to worship the things that the culture worships. That is not the purpose or the power of the church. We must look and act differently. In everything that we do, 
So when the world says, I can't believe you're gathering, I can't believe that you're not social distancing, I can't believe, can we just, what? They can't believe you believe in a guy who lived and died and came back to life. Are we going to compromise? No, we've got to be courageous. Live courageously because we have received the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You're not awesome, but you know the awesome one. And he's gifted you. Listen to me very carefully because some of you, some of you get this and some of you don't. God has individually empowered you to do the work of the ministry. You are to be a witness for Jesus Christ. He gives us power. He also gives us the plan, the spread of the gospel. Right? You'll receive power, and you'll be my witness. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Right? The church started in Jerusalem. And then through persecution and hardship and trial and travail, you'll see in the book of Acts, it is, it's, it's through hardship, it's through pain. The church moved out to Judea. Through more persecution, trial, travail, and pain, it then went to Samaria. And if you don't know about the Samaritans, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans, but all of a sudden, the Samaritans start becoming part of the family of God. And then it went to the end of the earth. That's why there's a church in Truckee, California. Because the gospel has literally gone to the ends of the earth. The, the, plan, the plan worked. Little Jerusalem. We're talking about men who worshipped a God that were just entrenched in, in one particular religion, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up, shows them the true faith is actually Christianity. They reject all of those things that are in the law, and then they receive grace, and they start a whole new thing based on a new covenant with Christ. Someone years ago, some individual decided and got the courage. So thankful for that individual. And Truckee, California said, you know what, I'm going to start a church. And they couldn't find a building. They couldn't find somewhere to go. And so they went to the bar across from the school because it was the only place that was closed on a Sunday. Bars used to be closed on a Sunday. Go figure. They said, we'll do church in a bar on Sunday. And then the church grew from a bar to Ray Hall. Next door. If you've ever been upstairs in the kids' room, that used to be the sanctuary. I remember it as a kid. There was a baptismal in there. It smelled like cotton balls. Just, it's where my grandparents went. And, and, and then somebody at some point said, literally said, I, I was just revisiting the story recently, they said, you know, we should add on to Ray Hall and build it out just a little bit so we can get more room. And someone said, no way. SBC is going to get way bigger than that. And they built this. Now, those men were involved, and they made decisions, but it was the Spirit of God that planted the church. It was the Holy Spirit that planted the church in that bar. It was the Holy Spirit who gave a man enough courage to plant a church in a bar. Wow. Now we have to press into the question. This is our church family. 
What does the Spirit of God want us to do for the next generation? Do we need a bigger building? I don't know. What I do know is that the Spirit of God has not empowered us to be content with what we have. But the Spirit of God has empowered us to expand the kingdom of God. That more broken people would come to the healing grace of Jesus Christ. Will you be empowered? Will you allow the empowerment to come? Because our Jerusalem is Truckee. Our Judea, the Tahoe Basin. Even incline. Even incline. Even Kings Beach. Down into Reno. Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. He's called the church to move, to breathe, to spread, to impact, to share the good news. We have an obligation to allow the Spirit of God to reach into the community. Does he want us to plant another church? Maybe he does. Maybe we need to plant one in Reno. It's not just for us. It's not just for us, is it? We have to be willing to have the Holy Spirit come into the room and into our hearts in such a way that makes us go, we have to take a radical step of faith. You know what I think is just so cool? I'm almost scared to broadcast it, but we'll just, just say what it is. We are literally the largest gathering in the entire Tahoe Basin, if not into Reno, Nevada. We've made a decision to continue to propagate and spread the good news. And we do not need to be ashamed for it. We do not need to cower. And we do not need to apologize. We're not killing people. We're healing people. We're empowering people. We're being healthy. And we don't need to be sorry for it. God is good. And he's going to continue to grow his church. The real question is, will you join him? I'm all in. I'm all in. And I pray you are too. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, you know... um, that I fall so short of being able to to move hearts, Lord. I, I don't have that ability. If I'm honest, at times I wish I did. <laughs> but I know, Lord, that you're so much more loving and so much more kind, so much more gracious, gracious, Lord, than, than I ever will be. And only you know how to take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Only you know how to transform a life and remove addiction and pain and suffering. Only you know how to heal broken and bruised past. Only you know how to heal marriages. Only, only, only you. And as a church, could we just 
Lord, take a moment to admit that, to confess that maybe we've, we've tried too hard and we haven't abided the way that we should. Could we, Lord, feel your presence such a way that we know that right now we're abiding? Kind of not think about time or hunger pains or what the rest of the day has, but just that, that we're in the presence of God? That we're in your presence, Lord? And as we abide in you, would you do the soul-working work that only you can do? Because I know, Lord, if, if we're people, we've got, we've got brokenness. We're all aware of it. We know it. Could we not hide it any longer? Just come before you, naked and bare. Lord, as we leave here, as the psalmist says, said, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. We know that you won't, but could we at least acknowledge, the Lord, that we, we don't want your Holy Spirit to depart from us as we leave? I'm sure some of us have, have sensed you and, and felt your comfort this morning and, and maybe we're worried about entering into the week that the power and the strength and the encouragement we feel will wane and we'll feel weak and feeble dragging ourselves back into church on another Sunday. But would you allow your power to prevail? Lord, I'm sure as we leave here, there's all kinds of opportunities for us to share our faith, to help others in in our community out. And we just acknowledge we need your spirit. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the sun, the cool, cool, fresh air, Lord. Thank you for our family. Thank you for our church. More than anything, thank you for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
spirit strong in me my flesh may fail 